Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. I am your host, Shay Sparks, Chief Excitement Officer of Sparks of Fire International, where we spark leaders in transition who are unclear, go from fear to fired up about their life and business. And if you wish to talk more in depth about coaching, heart and mind fitness, brainstorming for your business, podcasting, and or veteran resources, connect with me, Shay, today at the Calendly link in the show notes on your podcast platform. And today, our guest is the incredible Scott Ritzheimer. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks, Shay. So glad to be here. Well, I'm so glad to have you. I'm Recently took a brief quiz on your website that we can talk about later, but I'm excited to jump in and talk more about who you are and what you do. Love it. That'd be great. So for those of you who don't know, Scott Ritzheimer founded Scale Architects to help businesses across the country identify the right growth strategies and find the right guides to get them on the fast track to predictable success and stay there as long as possible. He now splits his time between coaching coaches and consultants and traveling across the country to speaking and consulting with founders, CEOs, and their teams to help them not only grow, but scale their businesses and do it all without the hustle. He also, we will talk about scale church as well. So I can't wait to dive in. So Scott, you just have so much uh, knowledge and I can't wait to hear your wisdom today. So I always like to start off with the first question of what does investing in people mean to you? What it means to me, and there's so many ways to go with that question, and I've I've kind of been just savoring it here for a minute, but I I think one of the kind of, I'll answer a little more practically, because I think that's really helpful. It's one of the reasons I like podcasts is you can get really practical stuff you can just walk away with. So probably one of the most practical things that that means to me is understanding the unique leadership styles of the folks that are working with me, or as a coach, the folks that I'm coaching, and helping them to understand them as well, and then embracing those together and leveraging their strengths as leaders, because they almost certainly don't look like mine. And they shouldn't, particularly in an organization. If we all have the same strengths, then one, one of us is redundant at some point. And two, we're missing out on just this whole host of opportunity and strength and skill that comes when those natural strengths vary from one person to the next. And, you know, it's easy to say that now, probably 15 years into this journey for me, when I was a founder, right? When I was a CEO, started an organization, I was 20 years old when it happened, right? So I knew nothing and included in knowing nothing was knowing nothing about leadership. (laughs) And I find myself a couple of years in, and we've got this multi-million dollar business. We're helping pastors. This is Start Church, which you mentioned in the intro there. We're helping pastors and nonprofit leaders all over the country to start these wonderful organizations. And I'm like 23, leading people that are twice my age, serving people twice my age. And, and I've got these folks looking to me to say, hey, will you, you know, lead me? And I really resisted that for a long time because I didn't mm. get it. Right. I, I didn't understand. I'm not like your natural, like I totally can read everybody. Like that's work for me. Mm. And so because of that, I actually just resisted it altogether. I pushed it away. You know, it's like, figure it out. Like you want led, lead yourself, right? Mm. Find those the self-leadership books. And those are the ones we read as a team. And it, it actually took me uh, quite a while to, to start wrapping my head, uh, my head around what the resistance was, was mm. to leading. And then to also start to recognize that, okay, even if I don't naturally understand where people are coming from, I thought that was unique to me. That's unique to everybody, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, But even if I don't naturally understand where they're coming from, there are tools that I can use that help me do that. And again, 15 years ago, starts this journey for me of just looking into and discovering what makes people tick, what in our wiring allows us to exceed and and expectations to succeed in some areas and then just fall woefully short in others. And we like to think of people as like high capacity or low capacity. We like to think of people as great leaders or not great leaders. The reality of it is way more nuanced than that. 
And if we try to just diminish it down to are they good or bad, light versus dark, we end up just we end up not embracing the value that each of our people brings to the table. And so again, for me, that really comes down to embracing their natural leadership style. And what I've found is really helpful in that is using the tools that are out there to, to almost depersonalize it so that I can understand the person that I'm talking to. I, what an answer, <laughs> what an answer. So I'm just curious, could you share with our listeners how you understand and embrace one's leadership style? Yeah, there's lots of great tools out there. And I've found very few people who haven't heard of any of them, but things like Myers-Briggs or DISC or the fattest one in the world right now is Enneagram or there's there's thousands of them, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's literally thousands of them and I love them. So I nerd out on all of them. But the one that I've, that's really hit me closest to home that is is really closest to my heart, if you will, is the the leadership styles that you took the assessment for. And, mm -hmm. and we call it the synergist model. Model. And what it basically does, the thing that I love about it so much is that there's only four styles. So anyone can learn it, right? By the end of this podcast, just about anyone can recite at least three of them, usually four of them. Some people have a little bit of trouble with the synergist, which is the name of the whole thing. But even if you don't know what to call it, you'll still understand what it is. And, and the reason that I like it so much is, is really for its simplicity. Now, it doesn't lose any of the power, but what it helps me to do is recognize, here's my natural natural leadership style. And here's your natural leadership style. And, and they're different, right? Mm -hmm. How, how does that show up in our working environment? And, and in working with teams and building my own teams, what I found is that 90% of the tension that comes up in a team, some people will say it's trust or other things. I think it fundamentally boils down to miscommunication. It, it really boils down to our leadership style drives the way that we communicate. It drives what's important to us. It drives the way that we see the whole world around us. And so you could have three people in a room that are all describing the exact same thing. But because their natural style leads them to seeing it differently, they will describe it in such a different way that we may not even understand we're talking about the same thing. And so you can have three people in almost perfect agreement that feel like they're just at complete odds with each other just by virtue of the fact that they're communicating differently. There's something to be said about communicating in a way that is with clarity, right? And I think when you take assessments like this, you're really able to see the blind spots that we have as leaders and go, okay, so I'm going to explain it this way, but then I'm going to watch for cues from the other person to see if they're grasping, if they're understanding what it is that I really want. Yeah. And, and then always ask for clarity yeah. and, and ask for and give more information if need be. And I think yeah. when you're coming from a place of generosity, that's really what you're doing when you when you um, embrace these types of structures into your company culture. Yeah. Yeah. And we can get to what those four styles are because I'm sure you know, folks are wondering what they yes, are. But absolutely. one of the things that just to piggyback on yours, one of the things that I learned, and it took me a long time to figure it out, but that I teach folks is that when it comes to these styles, the very first thing that we tend to do is look at them to understand ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like there's a validation that comes with that. I'm not crazy, right? Like, I, like I, this is actually somewhat normal. Like there might be right. another person in the world like me. And that's really healthy and helpful. And I yes. love that about it. What's more powerful than that is understanding the people that you're working with. Mm -hmm. They're not crazy either, right? right? Understanding the people that you lead and, and where these tools, and, and all of them do this to some extent and in different ways, but where these tools are most effective is not really understanding yourself, even though that's wildly effective. It's that they allow you to speak the language of your audience. Right. 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 If I go to Spain, right, with an entire Spanish speaking audience and I go up there and I start talking in Swahili, I may be giving the best speech ever. I wish I could speak Swahili, by the way. I can't. But if I could and I did and it was the best thing ever, I'm all fired up on stage and everyone's just like staring at me like, what's wrong with this guy? And, and we do that exact same thing when we're in meetings, we do that exact same thing in one-on-one -on -one conversations, right? We do that exact, I do that with my wife. Like we, mm. we do that. It would be outrageous from a stage, 
But how often do we do that in just our daily interactions? Because we don't recognize that even though you and I may speak English, we are using that very, very differently. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of things that drive that. You can be from the North, the South, there's things like that. But what I found, particularly in a work environment, for-profit, non-profit, same thing, is that mm -hmm. we tend to undervalue the differences in that, those languages. Well, that's why it's so important, like I said, for the clarity. That's what these four architect types uh, really allow you to understand. So take us through what each one is and a quick way to kind of be able to identify which yeah. one our listeners are. Yeah. Excellent. So this is so fun for me. I'm going to, I'm not going to get too excited, but <laughs> feel free. That's why how, we're here is to get here's fired how it works, up. Right? Well, so you, you're the sparks, man. So let's, <laughs> let's do this. So what we tend to have are the folks that we tend to see as leaders, right? And, and the reason that we tend to see them as leaders is they're often the ones who start things, which especially mm -hmm. here in the West is a, a leadership quality. That's one of the ways that we've defined leadership is those who go out and start things. They start organizations, they start nonprofits, they start businesses. They start new locations within businesses. They create new products. These starters are what we call visionaries, right? Mm -hmm. They are, they're just wired to see what could and should be in the world. They're constantly out with their eyes on the horizon, looking at what can be, right? There's a better way and we may not know it yet, but we're going to find it. They tend to, they tend to talk to think, which can get them in a lot of trouble in leadership <laughs> positions, but they also just love to explore. They're doing it because they love to explore the world around them, right? Mm -hmm. And they like to do it with other people more often than not. They're often very charismatic. They can be larger than life, but they can also just have that like steely charisma where you walk into a room and you just know that they're in charge. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and they typically are. And these visionary leaders, what, what I, I love about them, particularly in a team environment, is that they help us stay centered on the why. Mm. Why is it that what we're doing is so important? right? Mm -hmm. Sure. We may be at a company that makes toilet paper, but why is that important? Well, imagine a world yeah. without toilet paper and you, you'll, you'll catch that pretty quickly, but it's so easy for us, especially for the other styles to get kind of lost in the day to day or the different people and lose sight of the why. And, and visionaries do that exceptionally well. They do have a couple of challenges though, and that can come particularly in their, their very high squirrel factor. I don't know if you've seen the movie <laughs> up, right? Oh yeah. We've, yeah. We've yeah. Got the little dog named Doug. Mm -hmm. We've used this example for years. Well, there's actually a whole show about Doug and it's amazing. But Doug is this dog for those who haven't seen it or need a refresher who has a collar that allows him to speak. So we can kind of hear what's going on in his mind. And for the life of him, he wants to be part of what everybody is doing, but he cannot resist squirrel. He's up a tree, right? And it's not until a couple scenes later that he comes trotting back in and, and he's there with everybody. What's going on? Catch me up, squirrel. And he's up he's up another tree. And, and our visionaries are like that. They have a very high squirrel factor. Some of them suffer from what you could call shiny object syndrome. Mm -hmm. And, and so in a team environment, especially with other types of leaders, that can be so frustrating. But it, what's helpful to understand about visionaries is it's not that they're flighty. It's that they're constantly looking at what can and should be. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you've got to, you've got to chase after a lot of things that aren't going to work because somewhere, one of those that no one said would work will. And that's where the, the delight is in a visionary. That's where the inspiration is, is finding that new thing and that next thing. Now, they're starters, right? They're risk takers. They can get out there, maybe get the ball rolling. They are not finishers, most like by any stretch of the imagination. And so in the wake of any great visionary is just this trail of unfinished projects. And 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 they they recognize it and they're like, shucks, you know, like I've had a lot of great ideas, but something someone's got to get this stuff across the line for me. And so what visionaries tend to do is go out and find themselves their their kind of symbiotic twin, their counterpart, which is the next next uh, leadership style, and we call them operators. Hmm. These folks are just ruthless finishers who get stuff done. Not mean people, but they will walk through walls to see the visionaries' goals come to fruition. 
They are relentless doers. They are literal action-oriented people. And you can always tell them when I'm working with a team, the operator's the one about two minutes in whose, whose foot is tapping underneath the, the desk. Mm-hmm. And about nine minutes in, their fingers are tapping away on their cell phone to somebody outside of the meeting saying, get me out of here. Like <laughs> they, they don't have time for meetings. They just want to be out there getting stuff done. And mm-hmm. and uh, oftentimes in, in small organizations, we actually recognize the leadership capacity there. Oftentimes, though, in larger organizations, they're one of the first styles to not be seen as leaders. Mm. We see them as doers, as being helpful for maybe visionaries or other types, but we tend to accuse them of not being strategic. And the reason for that is that they aren't thinking out on the horizon. They're thinking about what needs to get done next. The motto of a great operator is tell me what to do and then don't watch, right? It it (laughs) won't be pretty, but it will get done. I was listening to one of your earlier shows and there's a gentleman on there who said, I don't care about A to B to C to D. I just want to know how to get to A to Z, right? And if that means going through K, I'm happy with that. If not, so be it. And, And that's what operators are like. It's like, okay, we're going over there. Sure. Boom. They're there. They're on it. And, and we love them and we need them for that. And so you've got these two and they're kind of like rocket fuel. You get a visionary with a couple of operators around them, they can get stuff done and they can mm-hmm. get stuff done in a big way. It's really exciting. So you'll see, especially a lot of young entrepreneurial organizations will be dominated by visionaries and operators. That's just their playground, right? Mm-hmm. Where are we going? That, that hill, boom, everyone's off to the races. And it's a lot of fun. Those organizations are, the way that they're managed is a little bit like, have you ever seen six-year-olds play soccer? <laughs> It's, it's kind of like that. And it's every bit as lovable. And quite honestly, it's every bit as effective as six-year-olds playing soccer. Like they get the job done, they win the game. And it's, and, and it's, it's actually really, really fun. Visionaries and operators, they tend to run and lead really fun organizations. But the result of all of that fun and that vision and that execution is that organizations grow. We used to have five people at our church. Now we have 50 or 500. We used to have two employees on staff. Now we've got 25. Mm. We used to sell three products. Now we've got 33,000 SKUs, right? Because we're wholesaling it. And and as that visionary operator combination works, what tends to happen is that the team grows. Mm -hmm. We need more people. We've got more complexity that we're trying to fight. And what ends up happening is we've got to now overcome that complexity. We can't just do what it is that we do. We actually have to do the thing that does the thing. Right. And, and, (laughs) and that, that complexity starts to build up. And so we've got these visionaries who've got a high squirrel factor, right? We've got Mm -hmm. our operators like, don't tell me how to do it. Just tell me what needs to get done and I'll make sure it happens. And now these visionaries and operators are left to come up with a way of overcoming complexity, which requires processes, requires Mm -hmm. system, right? It requires that linear thinking. Well, how good are these two styles at linear thinking, designing processes and adhering to them? I'm not. I mean, not at all. Right. They, like you ask a, a, a strong a visionary to to look at spreadsheets all day or you ask a strong operator to check every box, regardless of whether or not they're getting their work done. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'd rather take a paperclip to my eye like that. That's just that's not what they want to do at all. And yet that's what we need in a in a larger organization, not large, not big bureaucratic monolithic thing, but just a growing organization organization, what you find is that they need to actually embrace system and process. And for visionaries and operators, it's really hard to do, but it needs to get done. So what happens? Well, at that point, that's when we discover the value of the third leadership style which is the processor Mm -hmm. and processors. A lot of folks will kind of mistake operators and processors. So where the, where they're different, they're both task oriented, right? That kind of makes Mm -hmm. sense, but processors, they think in terms of system and process operators are focused on doing the right thing. Hey, what is it that we need to do? We need to get to that hill. All right, I'll get you there. May not be the straightest route, may not be the most efficient, but we will get there. I, I can guarantee you that processors, they want to know what's the most efficient route. If we get there, but we waste a ton of time doing it, what's the point, right? They're not as focused on doing the right thing as they are doing the thing right. Mm-hmm. And what requires, what's required for success in an organization for any period of time is doing the right thing right. 
right? We need visionaries and operators who, who are more focused typically on doing the right thing. We need those processors who are, who are more focused on doing the thing right. So these process thinkers, they're, they're not action oriented, right? Mm -hmm. Like we expect leaders to be. They're not risk seeking or tolerant. They tend to actually be risk averse, right? I travel all across the country teaching this and I say, and it's usually to CEOs, and I ask them, which of you would in your top five traits of a leader say risk aversion is one of them? I've never had one hand go up. Oh, sure. Right? I'm right? Sure. And, and yeah. so what happens, especially with processor leaders, is that we don't actually see them as leaders. Mm -hmm. We see them as facilitators. We see them as the folks who are necessary. It's kind of the, the necessary evil to do what we want to do. Right? Mm -hmm. To like, uh, we're screwing up. Okay, you know, go fix that over there, but kind of stay out of our way. Uh, and it's usually processors who bring, uh, I'm sorry, it's usually visionaries who bring processors into a team. And they say like, hey, I get that we need systems and processes. And that's why we're bringing you. We love that you're here. And I'm 110% uh, behind, uh, behind you. I'm with you. I'm for you. Whatever processes you need to put in place, we need you. Now, when they say whatever processes and when they say we need you, who do they think that those processes are for? Everyone else. That's exactly it. Everyone <laughs> except for the visionary, right? Yeah. Uh, and so what you find, and, and uh, again, this is just kind of a long explanation, but uh, I want to walk people through these patterns that we see happening again and again. And it's that a lot of times the processor style isn't really embraced because the visionary thinks it's for everybody else, which means that it's for the operator, right? Mm -hmm. And the operator doesn't want it any more than the visionary does. And so what we fail to do oftentimes when we're looking at that processor style leadership is we fail to appreciate it as an equal contributor to our decision-making. Mm. And when we do, we actually reject the skill set and the, the qualities of that style of leadership. And so when it comes to, and, and going all the way back to my initial question, when it comes to embracing and recognizing the value of the leadership and the people that we have, one of the biggest places that that shows up is for visionaries like you and me, who need to embrace the value of our processor leaders on our team. Yep. For those people who say no, right? As their mm -hmm. first response to everything. Those people who take like seven, like a hundred times longer to, to do the things that is like, how hard could it be? Like I can do that in an hour and it takes them three days. Like, those folks are actually the essential ingredient in allowing us to build a team that can sustainably scale our success for a long period of time. And if we don't have any language for this, if we can't see these different styles showing up somewhere, if we can't recognize how the needs for these different styles change over time, it's virtually impossible for visionary and operator styles to fully embrace that processor leader. Mm. And it's a huge point of that. contention in a team. Sure, sure. Yeah. I could totally see that because I think the the visionary has a tendency to like, blow people over if they're not like, well, we don't see eye to eye or you're going to tell me no, or that type of thing. Oh, you're, yeah. you're just the worker, quote unquote, just the yep. worker. Yeah, that's exactly. It. Yeah. Yeah. And so I promised four, I've only given three and that's mm -hmm. intentional. So before we can talk about what the fourth style is, we have to look just a little bit closer at how these other three styles get along because they yeah. don't get along very well. So <laughs> rather than going into a whole bunch of theory on it, I like to tell a couple of stories uh, and they're not, they're, they're fables, if you will, but, mm -hmm. or, or examples of experiences that virtually everyone has had. But the first one is, let's say, do you know those giant multifunction printers that most offices have? They're going yes. away a little bit, but I'm going to hang on to them as long as I can, because they, they make a great story. But uh, I have a lot of processor in me. So my natural styles are actually visionary and processor, which means that all of that conflict that we just talked about happens in my soul every single day. Oh, wow. Uh, but because I have a lot of processor in me, I have actually read the leases for one of those things. And it's really second <laughs> only in, in length to the Bible, right? Right, right. Uh, but buried in the text, usually multiple times, actually, is a statement something to the effect of you can't move it without us allowing it, mm, right? Or okay. you can't move it without us doing it. Okay. So now that we know that, which most people don't know because most people aren't weird processors like me, but uh, for everyone else who now knows that, right, let's assume that we asked an operator, how would you, how would you, hey, we need to move this printer just from this side of the building over to the other side of the building. Can you do that? Well, first they're going to say yes. And then what are they going to do? 
Do it. That's right. There's this <laughs> this printer. Yeah. Oh, sure. sure. Pull it out of the wall. Oh, shoot. Got to unplug it first. Mm-hmm. Yank it over with the cords dangling behind it. And it's been five minutes. It's on the other side of the building. Mm-hmm. Job done. What if we asked a processor to do the same thing? Oh, interesting. It would definitely be quite, there would probably be some questions. Yes, there'd be lots of questions, right? <laughs> yeah. And so there, what part of the building, what day do you want it moved on? Is there anyone else who needs it? Because we don't want to interrupt their flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we moving it there and then it's staying there? Or are we going to move it again in a few months, right? Mm-hmm. Just this exquisite but excruciating level of detail. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then what's going to happen, they're going to they're gonna read the lease if they haven't already. They probably have and they'll reread it again just to be sure. And after they've taken a couple of hours to read through the lease, what are they going to do? Will they move the machine? No, no. they're going to call the lease company because that's what's required Mm -hmm. and they're going to call the leasing company they're going to get permission everything's going to be sorted and then are they going to move the machine no No. all of this work right we're talking we're probably talking days of work by this point Mm -hmm. and the result of all of that ceo walks into the into the office two days later and the printer's still in the same place but what's on their desk memo Mm -hmm. a memo the printer removal committee We'll be approaching the printer from the northeast corner of the building and then bending at the knees so as not to hurt their backs. We'll proceed to, you know, again, just mm-hmm. this exquisite, but excruciating level of detail. One more. How about what if we needed the, the visionary to do it? What would happen? Uh, he would probably say, where does it look like it fits? <laughs> <laughs> Well, first off, probably what you're going to have to do is call her because she's not at the office. Yeah, right? that's She's somewhere true. entirely different. And so we call that's her a few times, true. doesn't pick up. So we text her like, hey, I need you to talk to me. Right. And, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you get an instant call back because they've been there all along. They've just been talking with a friend or doing something. And so we call them, they pick up and, and you're like, hey, we've got to move the printer. They're doing some work in that part. And, and, and they're kind of like, what printer are you talking about? The big mm. multifunction printer. <laughs> is, it a, is it a 3D printer? No, it's not a 3D printer. It's a multifunction. It's the same printer we've had. Get rid of it. I've got this great idea for a 3D printer that we can use. And you're going to love it. I'm not in the office, but when I get back, I'll show you my idea. And you're like, oh, no, what have I done? What have I done? And so something as simple as moving a printer, right, can just, we have three entirely different approaches. And those three entirely different approaches will drive the others insane. One more quick one is, when do you think operators show up for work? Early. That's right. And when do they leave? <laughs> Later. That's right. We call them fish. First in, still here, right? Still here, yeah. When do processors show up for work? On time. That's right. And, and when do they leave? <laughs> On time. That's right. When do visionaries show up for work? When they get there. <laughs> yeah. We, we, you know, I get corrected when I ask this question and we ask it intentionally, but they're like, I'm always working. What do you mean? Right? Yeah. Because for the other types, work is often confined to an office or out with Uh a client, right? Or in COVID days to the office in their house. But for visionaries, which visionary mind turns off of work things when they leave work? There's not mine. mine, Again, that's a question I ask all of these. It was well over 200 CEOs I, I spoke with last year in smaller settings. And I asked them all that. I had one raise his hand. And then the whole rest of the room called him a liar. <laughs> like, it's just, and, and so their work is not confined to a physical space. In fact, for visionaries, their work is actually limited. Their effectiveness is limited in the confines of an office. There's too many distractions. There's too many things that are pulling away. And so this can drive each other crazy for obvious reasons, but we, we have to ask the question, why? Why is it that operators show up when they do? Mm-hmm. Because the way that they add value to the team is by getting the ball across the line, by getting stuff done. And where do you get stuff done? Either at the office or on site with the job site or the client or wherever that may be. Why do processors show up on time? Because they're punctual. Right. And their attention to detail. That's exactly it. Because yeah. they bring a level of specificity and mm-hmm. clarity and mm-hmm. consistency to their team. Why do visionaries show when they do? We just talked about this because they're always working, right? And Mm -hmm. and again, they're doing their best work away from the office. And so we have a natural capacity 
and, and, and will default to judging each other's behaviors, like showing up for work by our own strengths and contributions to the team. Mm-hmm. And when we do, we lose out on the creative and constructive capacity of each of the others. What would happen if we made the visionary come to the office and sit there in a cubicle all day, every day? Would we get their best work? Not no, a no. What would happen if we told the operator they can't come in early to knock out a project, right? Whenever mm-hmm. it needs to get done, we're just going to limit their effectiveness. What would happen mm-hmm. if we told a processor that they need to be on call and show up at all hours of the day? They'll they'll go crazy, crazy. right? They'll just go yeah. nuts. It just doesn't fit in their world. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be conscientious of the fact that these leadership show, uh, styles are showing up in everything that that we do from moving a multifunction printer to showing up for work you know in the morning or for some of us in the afternoon <laughs> and when we start to recognize those styles we recognize okay we've got some work to do to get those three working together mm-hmm. because by their own defaults they will not do that and so what you see starting to come up in in high performing teams that have cracked the code is actually a fourth style. And the fourth style is typically learned. Most of us are not born with this fourth style. Most of us have to learn it. And we learn it when we recognize that our style isn't all that we need to lead. And we start to develop this fourth style, which we call the synergist style. And we become a more synergistic visionary. We become a more synergistic operator or a more synergistic processor. And when we do, we start to kind of build the relational bridges that we need within the team to leverage each other's strengths when it's appropriate and to keep our strengths at bay when they're not appropriate. Mm. Right. For visionaries, not every planning session is a blue sky. Let's come up with great new ideas session. Right. If you're doing a budget meeting. (laughs) Right. It's not the time to come up with 19 new product ideas. It's the time to kind of we got to wade through some of the specificity of this to make sure that even if we do come up with those 19 things that we're going to make money as an organization or not every problem is solved by just going out and fighting fires for an Mm -hmm. operator. Sometimes we have to stop and fix the thing permanently rather than just going out and and fixing it with another Band-Aid. Or for processors, sometimes we have to take risks even if we don't know the answers, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And when we do that, we start to live by this phrase that we found is really, really important. Inc. uh, Magazine called it the, the 20 most powerful words in business. But it's basically this. We call it the enterprise commitment. And it says, when working in a team or group environment, I'll put the interest of the enterprise ahead of my own. Mm -hmm. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we go and work without a paycheck? Well, no, not necessarily. What it means is not every problem is a visionary problem. Not every problem needs me to be in the spotlight to save the day, right? right? And when I show up in a team environment, which if you're working in an organization is almost all the time, right? I'm going to recognize my own strengths, but I'm not going to force them on anybody. Hmm. I'm going to recognize the strengths of others and I'm going to defer to them when their strengths are more appropriate for the task that we're trying to solve. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you. Cause that was a mouthful <laughs> and I feel so seen as a visionary because <laughs> you really hit the nail on the head with that. I'm definitely a squirrel person and I could also see how I am an operator and I took a test with another company and they call it integrator. Mm. So yeah, I can definitely see how I'm a little bit of both, but the, the fourth one where you talk about the synergist, I love that because I feel like, well, myself being a solopreneur, you, I've really been able, I don't do them well, but I've been able to at least pick up things that I don't want to do from the other leadership values in order to, because that's all I have is me. So, right. So I have to do that, but yeah, that I'm definitely that, that leader that's like, Oh yeah, let's do go do that. And I'll get to work get to the office when I get to the office, but I've already done a lot of things before I even got to the office. So yep. that's, that's so exactly true. I love it. I love it. So if somebody wanted to like take this test or figure out their own, where, where would they go? Yeah. So we actually allow anyone to take uh, our assessment for free. 
Uh, so it's not a paid thing. It's not anything that you have to fork over any money for. You can find not only your primary style, but see your unique blend because we each have usually some blend of the four styles, maybe uh, more of one and a little bit less of some of the others, or maybe you have two styles that are really strong. For example, like mine, where I'm a visionary and a processor, I don't tend to fit in a lot of the way that, you know, are you a visionary? Like, do you like a lot mm -hmm. of ideas or are you a processor? And, and for me, that's very situational, right? I can walk into a room of visionaries and I can kind of rub shoulders, but I will act more like a processor in that room to kind of counterbalance it. And so some people may be sitting there thinking, like you said, like I, I kind of feel some of those different things. Sometimes we learn the behaviors, mm -hmm. even though it's not the way that we're naturally wired. And so we wanted to just make it free that anyone could take it. Uh, and so you can do that at the Scale Architects website. So that's scalearchitects.com. And right there on the homepage, there's a, uh, a leadership styles quiz that you can take for free. Awesome. Thank you. So, Scott, I just want to take us back for a little bit because you said something in the very beginning, how you are a CEO at 20. So tell us that journey, how you... You kind of came up, you were a teenager, you're graduating high school. Did you go to college? Did you not go to college? And how did you start this business at, start a business at, at 20 years old? There's a lot of assumptions in there that are unfortunately not true. So I can spend a really long time on the story. I'm going to try and be conscientious of time. But the highlights are I accidentally dropped out of high school with a 4.0 grade average, right? I didn't realize that was possible, but I did. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up leaving uh, home at the age of 17. And because of just this whole series of unfortunate events, which included all three of my dogs dying in the same like two week period. Wow. Uh, really bad summer, but it landed me at a school of ministry actually for a couple of years because I couldn't afford a standard college tuition. And because of dropping out, I couldn't get financial aid. It was just a, a whole mess. So this is not your typical entrepreneur's journey, right? Went off, did a little bit of ministry school, realized, hey, I, I kind of like this. I moved to Atlanta, where I live now, to actually be part of a ministry. And my goal was I'm going to work with the ministry a little bit. And I'm going to work part-time just to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. And so I moved to Atlanta and I, I hook up with this gentleman named Raul Rivera, who's now a very, very dear friend of mine. And he owns this business called Start Church. And I'm looking for any job that I can get at the at this time. And he still gives me all kinds of uh, flack over it because I was debating between being a barista or working with him at the time. <laughs> and, and so I ended up choosing him because he had a more flexible schedule for me. And, and that let me do the ministry stuff that I wanted to do. And I was working in the mailroom where right? I was uh, taking in mail as it came in, looking at emails, faxes, all of that. And that was really my kind of foray into the business world. And just shortly after I started working there, he sold the company to another group in Nashville that did similar work. And, and it was one of the biggest lessons of my life because I watched that deal go from everyone's excited to them unintentionally, but systematically destroying the organization mm. that he worked so hard to build. And I watched everyone suffer for it. There was no bad guy in this situation, right? Oftentimes mm -hmm. there's the villain and like, mm -hmm. I recognize these are all people who want this to work and it's not working. Mm. And so my, my initial kind of jump into it, I went from being kind of the lowest man on the totem pole in this 13 employee company to being uh, an integral part of the only three people that were left working there. Wow. In just about a year's time. And, and as that happened, I stayed in contact with the original owner because we, we lived nearby and we actually ran together at a local park. And as things were really unraveling, they called him one day and they said, hey, we, we're, we're giving up. We're throwing the towel in. We're going to declare bankruptcy. If you don't come and take the, it back, it's just going to be gone. You've got 24 hours. And it was all he had. So he rented a U-Haul truck in Atlanta, drove up to Nashville, got what was left, which was like a couple broken computers and a handshake, basically, mm. and came back to Atlanta. And on his drive up, he told me what was happening on his drive back. He asked me, hey, will you help me relaunch this organization? And so wow. I, I became uh, a part owner and, and helped him refound the organization. Now, this is September of 2008. Mm. So it wasn't mm. a great time mm. to, to relaunch an organization. And the, as we're starting, stock markets falling by about 40% our first six months back in business. And, mm -hmm. and somehow we made it happen. We made it work. We mm. did the hustle. We did the entrepreneurial journey. And 
I had no idea what I was doing, but I realized I love business. I just mm -hmm. adored everything about it. And so mm -hmm. it actually took me another, from this point on, it took me probably another eight or nine years to recognize I was an entrepreneur. I actually never, like, because of the way that it happened, I hadn't really realized it. Now, sure. looking back, my dad was an entrepreneur. My, my mm -hmm. grandfather was an entrepreneur. It just kind of was in the fabric of what we did and how we lived life. But because I had all these kind of big entrepreneurs around me, I never realized that in and of myself. But as I started out, uh, again, it just gave me this really unique opportunity of helping to, I was there at founding, right? Helped and co-found it as we rebuilt it. I was also there before it was founded, right? And, and mm -hmm. watched it fall apart and, and learned so much about what it takes to build a business that can actually, you know, succeed post-transaction, basically. Mm -hmm. And so all of this is happening kind of in real time as a very young, very dumb individual. But the thing that, that I really wasn't paying attention to, th to through all of that was leading, right? And mm -hmm. that's kind of what I mentioned in the beginning. It was just kind of, it, it, was, it was an assumption and I, I've recognized this now that a lot, a lot, a lot of, especially visionary leaders who start organizations and end up leading people, actually, even though we call them leaders, even though the ones that most look like leaders, many of them don't really want to be leading other people. That's not why they started the organization, not to lead other people. They started it for freedom and autonomy and having to be around to manage this growing group of people is the very last thing that they want. Mm -hmm. And and so what I, I was able to really see that both in the sense of I had a CEO at the time, I was also COO at the time, and then I became CEO later in the organization. And mm -hmm. so it just gave me such a unique perspective to come into one, the relaunch of a company, not the initial launch, to see a transaction go really poorly and to give it an opportunity to give it another go, to be a COO in an organization, be even in the mailroom of the organization and become CEO of the organization, to be a founder and mm -hmm. to be an employee at the same time. It, it was just a really, really unique and marvelous experience. And then on top of that, the opportunity that I had externally was we started about 20,000 organizations in my time there. Hmm, and wow. so I not only got to see our journey, but I got to see in real time at scale, the journey of thousands of organizations, nonprofits, for-profits, churches, you know, hospitals, the whole nine yards. And I'm just seeing so many of these same patterns working again and again and again. And it was, it was not anything that I could have ever planned. Right. And I, you know, I think a lot of us, we, we, we spend a lot of time planning. This is my 10 year goal. This is, I, I would have had zero idea that that's what it was going to be. And yet it was just one wonderful and remarkable experience. Well, I think that's the visionary part of you, right? Is that we can't, we can see things about our company, but we can't see things about our personal. Right. And we have no idea that that's where it was heading. I mean, I can tell you from my own experience, I mean, I started off as a, uh, a nail tech many years ago, and then worked my way up and became a hairstylist and then became in six months, the, the top educator of the company that I was working for. And I was like, I want to be CEO one day. And 10 years later, I'm quitting and starting my own. And six months later, they call me back and ask me to be a partner. Wow. And when I talked to them about all the things and uh, basically I was like, so what's in it for you? <laughs> and they said, oh, we'll give you X amount of percentage extra on top of your, your, your pay grade. And I went, okay, great. So where are you at now? And they're like, oh, we're breaking even. And I'm like, hmm, so 20% of zero is still zero. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you, you don't know, like, there's no way would I have ever guessed that any of that was going to happen. And now to where I'm retired from that arena of life and now working on coaching and speaking and working with veterans. And it's like, uh, how did that even happen? And, and so I think there's something to be said. What advice would you give for someone who is maybe an employee and wants to start an entrepreneurial journey? Now that you're saying, I would never have saw, saw this or picked this for myself, what advice would you give them? One, besides take the test and find out what their leadership value is. Yeah. But what advice would you give them on, on their journey? Yeah. So again, there's, there's a lot of ways that we can go with this. And I'm going to give just a couple of quick points is one, um, if you're going to start something, you've, you're going to have to either be a visionary or start one with a visionary. 
one of the things that happens, especially when things are difficult, this isn't as true now, but at the very beginning of the pandemic, it happened a lot, is we have a lot of people who go out and the start of almost every entrepreneurial journey is actually to be a dissatisfied employee somewhere else, mm -hmm. right? Or maybe a dissatisfied student. And, and so what happens is we often mistake a lack of satisfaction with the calling to go start because that's usually when it happens. Mm -hmm. And so one of the main reasons that so many new organizations fail is that the folks who start them are not visionaries. Hmm. And it, it, it's, you know, it's tragic. It, it, it breaks my heart. But if I can help someone avoid doing that, if you're dissatisfied and you're not a visionary, then either link up with one. That's a lot of fun. Or go find another visionary that you can work for in an organization that you'll love right? Particularly yeah. for like processor or synergist style leaders, it's starting an organization is a really painful process and you don't want to do it unless you have to. And that's why when you see visionaries who succeed, they didn't do it necessarily because they wanted to, they just couldn't see the world through any other lens. Mm -hmm. And it takes that to get through those early stages that are very, very difficult. So that's one, obviously you can use the assessment to do that. The other one is if you feel like you want to go start another organization, don't. What I would encourage you to do is wait as long as you possibly can. Now, that, mm -hmm. if you do this right, it's it's a little bit excruciating, quite honestly. Oh yes. Uh, but there's a reason <laughs> for that, and and so what I what I'll teach people to do if they're saying, "Hey, I'm thinking about starting a business. I want you to get as close to that business as you possibly can without starting it." I want you to go and work for, volunteer for, spy on, like whatever you have to do to get close to the game that's already happening. Mm -hmm. Because there's a proverb that says, you've got to be careful because if you go and strike off uh, on your own, soon you'll find you're out of your depth. Mm. And that's what a lot of even visionaries do is they, they recognize the calling capacity to go start another organization, but they try to skip the journey of actually being in training right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you're going to learn those lessons one way or another. So it's not fail or, or not, but your chances of having to learn those failure in a really painful way go up significantly if you're learning them for an organization that you're running. But if you can learn those lessons through an organization that someone else is running, Again, that was a big part of my process. I, again, it was accidental. I didn't do it on purpose, but I watched it happen in, again in real time. And I learned so many of those lessons that I never had to really endure myself. Mm -hmm. And so someone who's sitting there thinking, hey, I'm ready to do this thing. Give yourself some more time. Give yourself as much time as you can possibly bear and use that time, not to just kind of sit and wait, but to get as close to the game as possible. Mm, I love that. And you're so right. Don't just quit and start something. Really take your time and, and train and learn. And then 10 years later, five years later, whatever, a year or two, then you can make that decision, an informed yeah. decision. So yeah. I love that. So because you're not as a visionary, you're not going, oh, look at the shiny thing over there. Yeah, I love yeah. that. I love that. Great advice. Yeah, it's going to be a humbling experience one way or another, mm -hmm. right? Like, it, yeah. it, you know, starting an organization is a humbling experience. You're either going to find out that you don't have what it takes to do it by yourself once you're doing it, or you're going to find that out ahead of time. It's a lot easier to find that out ahead of time. I remember most people know who Gary Vaynerchuk is. And mm -hmm. I remember him talking about when he was getting, you know, out of the wine business into media. Mm -hmm. he, he arguably could have just made the leap. Like he was running a very successful media operation for his dad's wine business. Mm -hmm. But instead of doing that, he went out and literally interned and worked for free for a couple of people who are in mm -hmm. the industry so that he could learn it. Yep. And if you have that kind of humility, you're going to gain so much from that learning experience. And most folks out there, you know, you hear Gary, he talks pretty hard and he's a real awesome guy. But if someone like that, who's that driven, who's that ambitious, who's that capable is willing to do that kind of work, then you and I can too. Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. Well, Scott, our time is running out. As you can tell, we could talk for days on end. There's just so much good uh, nuggets that you're sharing with us. So please, again, share with us where people can find you, find the assessment, maybe connect with you and ask you some questions. 
Yeah, absolutely. I get asked this, I do lots of podcasts. So I get asked this question a lot and, and I wish I could say like, just look for Scott Ritzheimer and you'll find him, which with a name like Scott Ritzheimer should be true, but I'm a junior. So oh. <laughs> dad ruined that for me before I ever had a chance, but you'll be able to tell which one of us is which, but what you can do is go to scalearchitects.com or on all the social media platforms, look up scale architects and you'll find that we, we post quite regularly on those. We give away uh, you know, part of my heart and passion was I didn't want to see people go through the same painful processes that I went through in learning to be a leader. And so because of that, from the very beginning, actually from before I started, there was a goal of we're going to give away as much free content as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, it's part of why the the assessments are free. It's, It's just, it's central to how I do business is to give people as much free advice as I possibly can. And so if you look for the Scale Architects website, you'll just find a whole mountain of information there that's really boiled down into bite-sized chunks that, that anyone can take and, and run with. And so I'd encourage you, go to scalearchitects.com. If you liked what you heard about the, the leadership styles, we're actually giving away one of our books right now. It's written by uh, my, my colleague, Les McEwen. It's behind me here for those who are on video, but it's called Predictable Success. And in that, we talk about how those leadership styles show up in the different stages that an organization goes through. And there's a mm-hmm. bonus chapter that's available just for those styles. And so we're giving away the book with all kinds of free stuff. If you go to book.scalearchitects.com, you can get a free copy of the book. And I think it's about $350 worth of, of assessments and software and, and things that go with it. So it's really exciting. I, I love getting to share that with folks. The book changed my life, my leadership, and, and I'm really proud to be able to take it out and be part of getting it out into the world. Mm, I love it. Thank you. And thank you so much for taking your time. I know that you're super busy and this was just so much amazingness rolled up into a little package. So thank you for for being here today. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I always leave with this question before you go of what phrase, scripture or mantra are you living by right now? I, (laughs) that's a hard one. So I am, I'm learning to just lean in. Mm. I like to be in control. And, and so buried in that is uh, you're not in control at all. So just lean in. (laughs) Well, as a uh, faith filled person as well, that is so true. It's about surrender because we're not in control. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you for, for being here and thank you for listening to the power of investing in people podcast. If you took some notes, because I'm sure you did, there were a lots of goodness in the four different types of leadership from visionary to operator, the uh, processor and the synergistic. So I know that you probably took some notes and was like, hmm, which one am I? So please go over to the scalearchitect.com website as well as Apple Podcasts and give us a review and share this with a friend because I know that your friend is also a leader and they can benefit from this information too. And until next time, let's get fired up. This podcast is a proud partner of the Heroes Media Group, Lima Charlie Network, and Global Sisterhood Podcast Network. Sponsored by Sparks of Fire International, where we get you fired up about your life and business, and Quest Education. What if you could use the money inside your retirement account, penalty, and tax-free, and use that money to start your own dream business? Our friend Daniel Blue from Season 5, Episode 5 over at Quest Education is so kind to give you, our listeners, their How to Grow Your Money Tax-Free online course completely complimentary just for listening to today's show. We invite you to find out more about their generous opportunity at the link in the show notes. So just imagine the business you could start with your freed up money.